traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, and this one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patellar instability, because that's what we're talking about with Dr. Jeremy Rush. He did a, did a fantastic job presenting at the Trinity University Sports Medicine uh, conference. They are hosted by my friend Sean Reedy at Trinity University in San Antonio. And the presentation was fantastic. We were talking about um, talking about ankle injuries, syndesmotic yes. injuries. Sy- syndesmosis, yeah. yes. I was yeah. thinking foot, ankle. I like I just couldn't close couldn't put it all together. Yes. <laughs> so he did a great job. And and one of the things that I loved was the the connection with the audience, the the level of presentation. It wasn't you were you were speaking to some a surgeon doing the surgery and you need to know all the intricate details but you weren't speaking to a high school student so it just you really connected with the level and that it was really appropriate for the audience and uh, i'm super excited that you reached out um in a little disclaimer this is actually the re-record for with dr rush so we did uh instagram live and the recording and then we had some uh audio issues after when we came back however we're still gonna have the same conversation so if you want to check out the uh, instagram version you can Either find me on Instagram and find that post, or find Dr. Rush, uh, and on Instagram he is S A T X Sports Medicine S A T X Sports Medicine on Instagram. So if you want to find him there, that's where he likes to be. So <clears throat> this all kind of started with my sister-in-law Caitlin. She was sitting on the floor with uh, her daughters, her kids playing around her, and one of them fell off the couch and her head fell right into her kneecap so her her daughter's head hit the lateral border of her kneecap no I think hit, the, hit the medial border yeah and then push the lateral border of the kneecap up and the medial border down into the the groove and then it was stuck like that <clears throat> so then i like then her husband called me and said hey what can i do i was like okay well here here's what you got to try and do you got to straighten the leg you got to kind of you know push it from the outside because I was thinking, oh, it was just a patellar dislocation. Well, I didn't know that it had flipped up like that until I got there. Well, they live like 40, 30, 40 minutes away. So I drive out there. I can't get it. We call EMS. They're like, we've, we haven't seen this. And then get to the hospital and the doctor says, well, I haven't seen one like this either. So uh, it was just a whole situation. But you seen something like that, Dr. Rush? You know, I, I I haven't seen something quite like that, and I, I know we talked about it a little bit. What what ended up happening with your your sister in law? So they gave her some medicine in the huh. in the ambulance and essentially calmed her down, put her to rest, and then um, they he did put it back, but he said it took two people. So someone had to straighten out the leg, and then he had to essentially just grab and pull the patella up to lift up that. Uh, the medial border to go back into place, but yeah, it's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Usually, you know, usually with patellar dislocations, if you straighten the knee out, it, it tends to, you know, pop back in. That's kind of your reduction maneuver. You know, sometimes you have to give it a little bit of a push, but you know, it's, it's usually knock on wood. It usually goes back pretty easily. 
I think the, you know, the thing when I, when I talk to trainers or, or residents or ER docs, the thing you want to be careful about is, is trying to do it too forcefully. Um, especially if you had the knee flexed that you, you get into trouble. If you have that knee flexed up and you're pushing on the kneecap, that's, that's a great way to break off a piece of cartilage, break off, you know, a, a piece of cartilage and bone and have an osteochondral injury. So I think exactly what you said, you want to get the patient relaxed, get that knee straightened out. And then usually it kind of pops back in place, but, but yeah, that's a weird one. Right, so did she, did she end up having surgery or PT or what, what kind of happened? So she ended up going to PT. I think it was about two weeks because it happened right around Christmas break. And so she, it was like two or maybe even three weeks before she could get into physical therapy. Cause you have to have the, you know, hour long block mm -hmm. for the exam, that kind of thing. And so she, you know, she's, I think she's done with physical therapy now at this point, I think she went through like four or six weeks. Um, and it essentially is all better. It's still a little tender. Like if she kneels down on the floor or something like that. Um, but I mean, she's able to walk up and down stairs or, and lead with, lead with the injured leg rather than the uh, normal or uninjured leg. So mm -hmm. did she, did she ever see a surgeon or was it a, you know, internist family practice doc type doc? No, they went to an orthopedic doctor here in Houston. Okay. So, yeah. You know, the, the thing that's interesting, I'm always curious, you know, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to treat these injuries, a lot of different algorithms, you know, different surgeons kind of have their, you know, their algorithm or their kind of recipe for treatment. And, and, and there's probably not one right answer and wrong answer. There's a lot of different kind of variations. And, and I'm always curious, you know, I, I, I pick my partner's brains when, when I go to meetings, I ask guys, cause there's definitely a lot of variability and, and, and you're always learning, you know, you're always, always kind of picking up new tick, you know, new tips and new tricks and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So she was, when I got there, she was sitting, uh, kind of with her back propped up against the couch. Mm -hmm. Her, her leg was, uh, more or less flat. It's like, she, I think she had a towel underneath her knees so, cause it hurt when it was all the way straightened out. Um, does it make a difference of the hip position in relocating the patella? Like, is it, does it relax the muscles more if she lays flat, if she sits up, does that change anything? You know, I don't, it seems like you, you want, you know, the IT band, you know, the anatomy around the knee, the IT band definitely acts as a lateral stabilizer. You know, there are connections from the IT band to your lateral patella. So I have to think that you don't want that firing. If, if, you know, your IT band or your tensor fascia lata is firing, then that's going to promote the patella staying laterally. So I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, it seems like you'd want the hip just as relaxed as possible. You wouldn't want it internally rotated. You wouldn't want to be firing either your hip flexors or your, um, you know, your, 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 the lateral side, your glutes, your tensor fascia lata. So I, I'd have to think just whatever position is comfortable and gets you relaxed. So thinking about that, would it be, you said not internally rotated. Would do you think external rotation would make it any easier? I'm not sure. That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I, I'd have to think, I mean, I think if you are just relaxed, you know, kind of that natural posture when you're relaxed, your hips do tend to, you know, externally rotate. Mm -hmm. So I think you'd, you'd, you'd want relaxation no matter what. So, you know, maybe you put a bump, a pillow, something underneath, underneath your, your booty on that side to kind of, you know, internally rotate your body, but allow your hip to externally rotate and relax. You know, I'm just kind of, kind of brainstorming and thinking through this, but I, I think you'd want, you know, it, it re as relaxed as possible.
Gotcha. So, so it'd probably be good if you could, but not at the expense of them tensing up. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. That's, okay. that's a much more eloquent way to put it. Yeah, no, no. I mean, cause I didn't think about this at the time or even the first time we had this conversation mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking, Oh, Hey, why didn't I do this? I didn't do that. You know, so it's just, Hmm. All right. You know, it seems like, you know, I, I've seen reductions where the patient just, you know, you gently straighten out the leg. The other, the other time that sometimes it'll reduce is, you know, say you have a player, a football player, basketball player, what have you, when you go to stand them up, you know, you, you have them push off on their, on their good leg, they stand up, but kind of as a byproduct of that, their, their injured leg straightens. And a lot of times you'll get that reduction with, with that as well, just kind of when they're standing up. Um, but, but yeah. All right. So we're talking about patellar instability. So I know we talked about this, the dislocation there, and then, you know, it being relocated, but let's define kind of the patellar dislocation, subluxation, and instability as we're going to be kind of talking about them. Okay. Yeah. So, so dislocate, I think dislocation is a good one to start with. So patellar dislocation, it is, it is dislocated. It comes all the way out of the, out of the trochlear groove, that groove in the femur where the femur um, or where the patella kind of slides up and down as your knee is flexing and extending. So patellar dislocation is when it comes all the way out. And, and we know that, you know, the overwhelming majority, you know, 95, 96, 97% of patellar dislocations are lateral. So the kneecap goes lateral. Subluxation is where it at least partially comes out of the groove, but not all the way. And, and you see these subluxation events, especially in patients with chronic patellar instability in that, that third term that you mentioned. So, you know, they'll have a subluxation event where they feel like it's coming in and out, but it doesn't dislocate all the way. So patellar instability is, you know, when, when you start having this as a chronic issue, whether it's during just sporting events, athletic events, or, or whether it's during ADLs and, 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 you know, just kind of daily life. Um, so yeah, dislocation, subluxation, and then, and then instability. I think, you know, when I think about dislocations, I, I also kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, um, a, a grouper, you know, I like, I, I like not, not the fish obviously, but I kind of like to group things, you know, in, into nice buckets. And that just helps me think about it. Um, but when I think about patellar dislocations, I think about, you know, traumatic events. So, you know, a knee that may have some of those risk factors, but is otherwise, you know, has, has, has behaved appropriately and has worked appropriately for, you know, 14, 15, 16 years of life. And then they have a big dislocation event. They get slide tackled, you know, hit by a linebacker, what have you, and then they dislocate. So that's a knee that's, that's been pretty normal that has a traumatic event and dislocate. So that's kind of one bucket. And then the other bucket is a patient that has a lot of these anatomic risk factors. They're, you know, they're just a setup for dislocation and they start having dislocation events with, with, you know, non-traumatic things going up and down stairs, getting up from their desk, getting up from the couch, you know, getting into a car. And, and that second group, you know, I, I see those patients earlier, you know, when I see a a 10 year old, a nine year old, whose family says, yeah, you know, the, the patella has dislocated 40 times. It happens all the time. It, it happens when they, you know, stand up from the couch, you know, that's kind of a different bucket. That's a kid who's got a lot of risk factors, whether it's dysplasia or patella alta or torsional abnormalities. And, and that's one that's probably going to be a bigger issue down the road. So kind of those two, two buckets, if you will. I got you. All right. So as we're talking about patellar instability, 
mm-hmm. uh, dislocations, subluxations. Do you remember the first time you personally saw a patellar dislocation or subluxation? So, I mean, I remember, so I was, I was a, um, I was a firefighter before I went to med school. So while, when I was in college, I, I went to, to EMT school and then I was a volunteer firefighter. I did, I did EMS at, at Texas A&M. So, so shout out to Texas A&M EMS. Um, but I remember seeing, you know, patellar, a patellar dislocation injury when I was doing my like clinicals as, as part of my EMS training. Um, so that's, you know, and, and, and I saw them when I was in med school and, and, I, I wasn't an orthopedic physician. So, you know, I just remember it being a very dramatic, you know, it's a very dramatic injury, you know, your, your knee, anytime you have a dislocation, whether it's a shoulder or a finger or an ankle, you know, it's a very, it's a very dramatic looking event, you know, families, you know, sometimes freaking out coaches. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I remember. And I do remember it, it reducing fairly easily. And I remember kind of thinking, oh, okay, all right, well, that's, that's it. Um, because I, it is one of those that's, that's a pretty dramatic pops back in and, 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 and it's something you can do. Yeah. And then usually there's like, ah, oh, it's like such a relief, right? That's correct. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. What about you? When was, did, did you, so was it your first one during AT clinicals or, during preceptorship or when when so do you the, remember yours the first time i remember seeing a patella dislocation um that i was involved in reducing <clears throat> was at a club volleyball tournament i was working contract work and it was probably six years into being a professional as an athletic trainer um and it was the girls on the volleyball court and you know laying there oh yeah i see your kneecap all right well here let's straighten this out and poop and he just slides right back in and it's like oh okay all right well now let's get you over here you know obviously you're not gonna be able to play but it was just i, I don't know it was i don't say i don't want to say picturesque or whatever but it was just like the perfect scenario she's laying there and i just come and i'm the big hero i rescue you know the girl and now yeah, i mean those when, when it happens like that whether it's a, a shoulder dislocation you know friday night or or a patellar dislocation or finger dislocation during basketball you know those are those are fun those i mean not fun for the patient obviously but you know those are those are kind of cool you know you, you have something broken something that's wrong you make it better and um you know it's it's very rewarding so hey so in your time with uh with the military do you remember seeing any sort of um injuries that kind of encourage you to look kind of do orthopedics well so so i was an orthopedic surgeon in the military so i i you know kind of my path i, I went to AM for undergrad and and i knew i wanted to join the army at, at, at some point my, my dad was career army both my granddad served so I, I knew i wanted to do that at some point um when I, when I got into medical school, the, the army actually has a scholarship program. So I joined the military between college and med school. So basically, um, I mean, I, I, I think I signed my paperwork October of 2001, October, November, 2001, and started, you know, started medical school summer of 2002. I was class of 02 for undergrad. Um, so the military paid for my medical school. It was an army scholarship. I, I, you know, had to go do stuff during the summer with them. But then when I, when I finished med school and I, and I, and I was a physician, I did my orthopedic residency here in San Antonio at the, at the army hospital at Brook Army Medical Center. 
So, you know, my, my pretty much my entire military time started with me being in med school um, with, with the goal of being a physician. And then I, I decided I wanted to do orthopedics pretty late, kind of late in my, in my third year of med school. Most, most guys go into med school knowing they want to do ortho and, you know, or at least figuring it out their first or second year. Um, but I actually came to it kind of late. I came to it my third year of med school. What kind of drove you to orthopedics? So, so my, my plan was to do emergency medicine, um, having, having done EMS and having done, you know, fire department stuff, you know, my mentors were ER doctors. That, that was what I knew. Um, it's what I loved. I, I, you know, I still, at some point, you know, I'd love to, to go back and be a volunteer firefighter. Um, maybe, maybe when I retire, but, but my, my whole plan when I came into med school was to be an emergency medicine physician and do ER. And that was the plan all the way up until my third year. And, and the cool thing about medical school is, you know, your, your first two years, you're just in the classroom for the most part, you're in the classroom doing biochemistry and anatomy and physiology and that sort of thing. And then your third year of med school, everybody does pretty much the same core clinical rotations. So even if you said, Hey, look, I want to be a plastic surgeon, or I'm going to be a pathologist or what have you, you still have to do internal medicine. You still have to do, you know, obstetrics and gynecology. You have to do pediatrics. You have to, you have to do these core things that everybody should be, you know, have some exposure to. And when I did my surgery rotation, I got to spend a, a couple of weeks with uh, uh, orthopedics and I just loved it. You know, I, I had fun. I genuinely had fun when I was at work. I was, I was taking call every third night, you know, working at two, 3 AM, but you know, it's very, it's very much a team environment and most of what it sounds horrible. So don't judge me, but you know, I really enjoyed taking someone who was broken and being able to work to get them fixed. You know, it's, it's kind of simplistic and I guess it's a cliche, but a lot of medicine today is prescribing medication. Yeah. And again, I, I should be careful, but um, you know, you have patients that smoke or drink or overeat or not healthy and you give them medicine and you, you know, patients are on 10, 15, 20 different types of medications, but they keep smoking. They keep making poor life choices. And I, I found that really, really, really frustrating. Um, I did, I did not like kind of that part of my medical school experience. And, um, I don't think I'm alone in that. And orthopedics was a little different. It was, it was much more, you know, you're, you're working with your hands, you're, it's more technical, if you will, you can see the end product. And, and I, I like that. Um, and, and I especially like taking care of younger patients. So, so that's kind of where my, my career has gone is primarily taking care of, of, of pediatric and young adult athletes, you know, from middle school, high school, college. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a great patient population. So sorry, that's kind of a long winded answer. No, no, it's fantastic. It was here in the background. Um, to going back to patellar instability, uh, as you were talking about putting people back together, um, one of the things that I don't fully understand, I didn't get all the details from my sister-in-law, Caitlin, is the, the doctor, either it was the ER doctor or the orthopedic doctor said that um, like within like 30 or 45 minutes, like a jelly substance starts to set in with the patella um, dislocation, maybe it's like swelling or something like that. Do you, can you help me understand? Do you, do you have any idea like what, what they were talking about? I, I'm not sure. You, what, what do you mean by jelly? Well, that's like like an effusion, like a hemarthrosis? 
that may have been what he was talking about is like, you know, it starts to gel together or it starts to like gel in that situation. So maybe it was just the swelling would prevent yeah. it from going back in. I don't know. I mean, you know, when you dislocate, you always, you always get that big effusion, you know, you always get that big hemarthrosis because, you know, your patella goes laterally. So those medial, medial structures, your MPFL, your medial retinaculum, you know, you stretch, you, you injure those ligaments and that, that, that soft tissue. So, you know, invariably you get swelling, bleeding inside the joint and, you know, and that's an important thing to think about because since you have all that swelling in the joint and your quad is weak and you're in pain, you know, those first several days are, are kind of when you're a setup for your patella dislocating again. And you can just imagine if you have all that fluid inside your knee, you know, it's kind of driving your kneecap. It's kind of driving your patella away from the trochlea and laterally anyway. So, so I always tell patients, you know, those first several days after your injury, you got to be careful, got to be careful. And, and for me, I usually put people in a, in a knee immobilizer for, for 10 to 14 days, somewhere in that range. Um, especially things like getting in or out of a car or in or out of the, uh, of the shower, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the place where a lot of patients will re-dislocate if they're not careful. Yeah. That twisting and unloading or loading of the weight is right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to see somebody falling halfway out of the car because their kneecap dislocates. No, no, no. And you definitely, you know, and you, you definitely don't want to be in the shower. Um, you know, especially as a teenager, that's tough. You know, if, if, if you're, you're naked and you got to call your parents in to help you, help you get up. Yeah, um, I would have had to tell my sister-in-law she was on her own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you gotta be, you gotta be careful with that. Nobody, nobody wants to see that. Um, but, but yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, after, after that first dislocation, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty aggressive or conservative, I guess, depending upon how you look at it. Um, you know, I, I definitely get patients into therapy. I do the knee immobilizer for about two weeks, and then I get them into a patellar stabilizing brace. We start PT pretty much immediately, working on um, edema control, um, getting back their quad function, working on range of motion, hip and abductor strengthening, kind of all those all those components. I see them back at six weeks, make sure they're doing better. I say, hey, that's great, you're doing better, but you're still not cleared yet. I, I tend not to clear people for contact sports until two and a half to three months. Um, and what I tell them is, look, you know, your, your best shot at this not happening again is, is right now. Um, once it, once your patella dislocates a second or a third time, you know, it's probably going to happen again. Every time it dislocates that risk of recurrence keeps going up. So I tell them, you know, right now is your best shot and we're, we're going to, we're going to be careful. We're going to take our time and make sure that you're as tuned up as you can be before we cut you loose. All right. So as we're talking a little bit about the, the traumatic event of the dislocation, you know, from being hit by your child falling on your leg or, or being hit in sports, that kind of thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the patellar instability where you said it's a more of a chronic, you know, these things are continuing to happen, maybe even mm -hmm. to a 10 year old. What are some of the, the signs, the symptoms? Cause you said there's anatomical signs yeah. and symptoms or things like that. Well, a lot of things, you know, so it's, there's a lot of, just like, just like ACL tears or shoulder injuries, you know, there's, there's things that, that predispose people. So if, if your trochlea, if the, you know, the top side of your femur where the patella, um, you know, where it kind of, you know, rides back and forth, if that trochlea is shallow, it's called trochlear dysplasia. That's a risk factor. If your patella sits a little higher, patella alta, that's a risk factor. Um, women are at a higher risk, probably because of hyperlaxity and because of increased Q angle. Q angle being that, you know, kind of 
uh, a knock needness, if you will, that valgus alignment at the knee. Um, and then I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple. Oh, like, like rotational abnormalities. So if you have femoral aniversion, exter external tibial torsion, you know, those things are all risk factors. So once, you know, once you have someone who is having multiple dislocation events and has chronic patellar instability, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, Hey, my, my kneecap feels unstable. I can't trust my knee. It feels like it's going to give way. Um, if they have a big loose body, they'll have clicking, catching, they'll have recurrent swelling. Um, a lot of times they'll have pain going up and down stairs, kind of patellofemoral pain type symptoms. Um, but you know, it can, it can be kind of, it can be kind of variable. Patients don't always come in saying, Hey, I have chronic patellar instability. They'll say my knee feels weird. It feels wonky, feels unstable. Um, and, and you got to tease out, you know, when did that start and, and what, what exactly is kind of going on here? Okay. So tease it out for us. How do we, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do we go yeah. from there? So, so on exam, I mean, the things, the things that I do on exam, you know, lateral, you check your translation, check the translation of the patella. And if your patella translates laterally more than the other side, you know, if it's three or four quadrants, that's, that's a, that's a tip off for patellar instability. The other thing is they'll have apprehension. So as you start pushing on that kneecap, they're like, Hey, that, that feels weird. I feel like my patella is going to dislocate. They'll, they'll be upset. Um, so patellar apprehension, the, the J sign where as your knee goes from extension to flexion or vice versa, it, it pops over as it pops into the groove. Um, you know, those are, those are all kind of the, 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 the physical exam findings that you'll see. And then, you know, I, I get an MRI, you know, if in a patient who's got chronic instability and you'll see, you can see chondral injury to the patella or the trochlea or the lateral femur. Um, you can see that, uh, the MPFL is damaged. It's stretched out. The, the patella is laterally subluxed. So th those are kind of all the, the tip offs. Um, you know, patients don't always say my patella dislocated. So if, if someone has a twisting injury playing soccer, right. And they can't tell me exactly kind of what's going on. Then, then I, I get an MRI, you know, at that first clinic visit because I want to make sure they don't have a meniscal injury, ACL injury, make sure there's not something else going on as well. All right. So one of the things with my sister-in-law, again, the ortho said that you don't need to get an MRI, right? And cause hers wasn't chronic and she knew exactly what happened. And I'll just kind of answering those questions there. Um, and so is that something that's normal? Like you would, say, okay, if I know what happened, if they said for sure, you know, it was out and it went back in, or I know for sure somebody put it back in for them and then they came in and they're not having any other complaints. When do you decide on the MRI? Yeah, no, no. And I, and I agree with, uh, with, with, with that surgeon. So if you have a known dislocation event and your x-rays don't show a loose body, you know, don't show an osteochondral fracture, then, then I don't get an MRI either for a first time dislocation event. Now, I think the second part of your question is when would you, I would get an MRI if I'm worried about a loose body, because if they knocked off, you know, a, a, a piece of cartilage, you know, that's something you want to fix sooner rather than later. So if they have a huge effusion, you know, frank mechanical symptoms, or if you see something on x-ray, then, then that's when I would get an MRI at that first visit. Um, but no, I, I agree with, with, with her, you know, her or him or whoever, whoever the orthopedic surgeon was, I, I agree with that. All right, and then you talked about you like to get them into 
physical therapy. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, one of the tools that we use here a lot is Compex, which some people may use something that's like Russian stem or, you know, basically just uh, E-stem for the muscle hypertrophy or muscle strengthening, not, not for tens for the pain relief. Um, but one of the doctors, I can't remember which one told her that it's just, she needs to be really cautious with, because if she put it on one of the muscles, then it could pull the patella back out of the joint. Do you have any thoughts there? I, I know it's kind of vague. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, doing everything you can to strengthen the quad and especially the VMO. I mean, I think that's, that's the right thing to do. What's, what's the device you use? I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it. It's called Compex. So like complex without the L um, hmm. and it, it's essentially the Russian stem. If you were to use one of the expensive stem machines. Um, so it'll contract the muscle for um, like 10 seconds and then release it for 10. So if you're working alongside of it, then you're squeezing your muscle and it's squeezing your muscle. So it provides a more complete muscle contraction. And we use it a lot with uh, post-surgical when they're, you know, needing to, to relearn how to, to do the muscle. Does it work? Oh yeah. Yeah. So what, what makes it rushing? Um, I, th that's just like the phase of the stem. I don't know. I mean, that's just what it's called. Uh, and I, I would assume it's from something where way back in the day, the Russians used it to grow their muscles stronger. Hmm. Um, you know, use some sort of electrical stimulation to help hypertrophy muscles. And then you just, okay, well we'll use this in rehab as well, but yeah. I don't want to be called like a racist or something for, <laughs> for making some sort of assumption. So it's not like Rocky five. It's not, it, it didn't come from, you know, Ivan Drago or anything like that. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, it just, you know, I've always known of, it's called Russian stem. That's where it's not tens for, but it, it's a like intense contraction to make the muscle contract where Interesting. you can't do it or to assist you in doing it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to ask my therapist about that. What about, um, what about BFR about blow, blood flow restriction? Do you like, do you use that in your practice or do you have any thoughts on that? So we do, I know uh, using the Delphi unit, those are really expensive. They're, you know, you have to go to the training and all that kind of stuff, but that's what we got a grant and we use the, the BFR for Delphi, um, the, B, the Delphi BFR unit mm -hmm. here and the team at Owens Recovery Science, they've been fantastic helping me out. You know, I've done several video calls. Um, uh, BFR I think is a, is a game changer. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's something that truly makes a difference in some of the research that they've done. Um, when partnered with Houston Methodist here, the patients were able to re return like up to a month sooner to normal activity. And so we use it um, for any of our long-term rehabs. We don't necessarily use it for somebody with like an ankle sprain, which you can, but just because of the volume of patients and the, the stuff we have going on, we just haven't really utilized it for anything but the, the longer term people. Uh, but BFR, you know, I think it definitely would have helped her and I offered, I was like, Hey, you can come over here and, and do this stuff. But you know, it just, it didn't work out for her. So. Yeah. Now, if you, if you do BFR, if you have an MPFL reconstruction or an ACL, when do you start it at what, at what phase of rehab? Uh, usually if it's post-surgical, like, I mean, we've mm -hmm. done on a femur fracture, but we just said, Hey, can, is it okay if we do this? You know, we just check with the physician and they said, yeah, mm -hmm. let me, let me check. Um, <clears throat> so with BFR, as long as the physician uh, is okay with it, you can start right away because even if nothing else, you can just put the BFR on there and them it be passive, right? And so it, it creates that. Um, and so 
I know Johnny Owens talks about when they were they're using it, like with the military guys and things like that, they'll do it like the next day after surgery. Um, but again, those, those surgeons have seen it. They understand what's going on. They give that approval right away. And so with us, usually we're not seeing a kid for a week or so after surgery, because most of the time they're homebound for a week, that kind of thing. Um, but we would start it as soon as, as it was allowed by the physician. Yeah, I think it's a game changer. You know, Johnny, Johnny was here um, in San Antonio when, when I was in the military. So he worked at the Center for the Intrepid and at, at Brook Army Medical Center. I think it's called San Antonio Military Medical Center. But no, it's, it's a game changer. So I, I think it's fan. I'm definitely a, a disciple or a believer in it. Um, I've seen it used in collegiate professional athletes. So I, it makes sense to me. You know, it, it makes sense mechanically and um, uh, just just, you know, seems like a reasonable thing to do. And I think we've seen the, the results from it. So, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great tool. It's a good tool. What about when, when you get patients back and I'm going to pick your brain um, when when you start returning them, you know, four months, five months out, you know, patients often they really get to, to, to love their brace, you know, the Palumbo brace or patellar stabilizing brace and, and, and they, they like it. It's a little bit of a, you know, safety blanket, if you will. And I really try to get them out of it at some point. I tell them, Hey, look, you know, we don't want you relying on this forever. Um, we want your muscles, your, your anatomy to be the brace. You know, I don't want you to rely on it. Obviously you can use it for a little while, but not forever. What do you think about like KT tape or rock tape or, or, or do you, are you a believer in doing that for the athlete that's five, six, seven months out and just needs a little bit of, um, I don't know, memory, muscle memory or, or reminder or a little bit of a support? When, when do you incorporate that? So my coworker, Sophia, she uses KT tape for situations like that. Mm -hmm. um, when they need just a little bit of something, you know, I don't, I, I've seen the KT tape work in swelling situations. It helps reduce the edema, that kind of thing. But people overuse it because they see somebody put it on their shoulder and, oh, okay, well, it fixes everything. But it does give you that biofeedback. I've done it before where we had a volleyball girl. She needed to continue to pull her shoulders back. And so we put it kind of, you know, she had her, had her retracted scapulas and then um, we put the tape across there. And then that way, when the tape stretched, it reminded her, okay, hey, wait, I got to pull them back. I got to help set them so that I don't have that same issue. And so I think that the the sensory or biofeedback from the tape alone is a really good tool in, in that situation where you're trying to get them out of the brace. Okay, well, here, let's put the tape on there to give you that sense there's something there that's give you that uh, biofeedback. I think it's a really good tool if you can you know, use that as a step out. Uh, and again, just say, Hey, we're going to use this as, just as long as we need to, and then go from there. And you No, it's great. Yeah. I mean, we've always, you know, we, we, we laugh, you know, you see the, if you run a half marathon or a marathon, you see the patients that have, you know, an entire, entire roll of KT tape everywhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, so there's definitely potential to probably overuse it or not, not overuse it, but, but use it where it's not actually doing anything, but it seems like this is an indication where it probably, probably helps you. So um cool very good very good all right so we just have a few minutes left any anything you feel like we missed about patellar instability uh, as athletic trainers to taking care of patients that that could really change the game or just give us that one little bit of 
knowledge that we, we just didn't cover? No, I mean, I think the big thing is, you know, keep an eye out for loose bodies. If, you, if you're as an athletic trainer, if you have a patellar dislocation, you're like, yeah, it's just patellar dislocation, but their effusion is not going away or their motion is not responding or they're having mechanical symptoms, then, then always have, you know, have that in the back of your mind. Hey, could they have a big loose body? Could they have knocked off a piece of cartilage? And, and I think the other thing is just recognizing that this is not a benign event. We know that young patients, especially with, with risk factors, you know, have a pretty significant risk of it happening again. So, you know, it's not a, you know, an ankle sprain, you know, Hey, it's going to get better and don't sweat it. You know, this is really can be a life-changing event. You want to be aggressive with your treatment really, really, you know, we didn't really talk much about home exercise, but, but I think this is where home exercise is so important where, you know, patients have to have to do these things, you know, forever, forever, ever, um, just to, to try to keep it from happening again forever like so much like forever ever should be doing like three days a week of home exercises or something i i think so i think everybody should be doing that well okay but no i think no they've got to make it part of their life and it doesn't mean they need to spend an hour every day but but spending 10 15 minutes you know a couple times a week working on their quads their abductors working on their core strength you know i i I mean i think we should all probably be doing that especially our, our athletes but um yeah no, I appreciate you letting me come back. Yeah. And, you know, last time we had the the live conversation and I know some people were asking for some shoulder talks. And so, again, we'll get that scheduled. Hopefully we'll have the live and Zoom worked out at the same time. I mentioned in the first part, one of the best ways to get a hold of you is on Instagram. And again, Dr. Jeremy Rush is SATX for San Antonio, Texas, SATX Sports Medicine. So SATX Sports Medicine. If you want to reach out. Uh, have him be a guest on your podcast or video call into your classroom, uh, something like that, then reach out there. Also, lots of good resources, putting out stuff. I know your kids are into some martial arts stuff. And so um, commenting and giving the the orthopedic surgeons perspective on some of that stuff that's going on there. So uh, yeah, it's been great. I think between the three kids, we've got football, soccer, baseball, softball, you know, my six-year-old is doing jujitsu, so she's she's pretty young in the process. But but we've got a little bit of everything. No swimmers, no no lacrosse players yet. So, all right, very good. Uh, so again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patellar instability. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash patellar instability. So for Jeremy, Doctor Rush, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thank you. Have a great day. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh. The joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.